So many of us have been praying and we've been excited and we've been anticipating and we've been waiting on God to move. And so many of us have said, you know, God is going to do something great in the life of First Baptist Church. And what I want you to know is that if you haven't experienced it already, God's already doing great things in this place. I want you to think about the greatness of God and how he's doing great things for us and in us and through us. Though we don't deserve the greatness of the things that he does. First Baptist Church is such a wonderful congregation. And so today, uh, it's going to be a sermon of comfort and encouragement and warm fuzzies. But at the same time, you're going to leave, hopefully, with a sense of accountability. And a sense that we've not arrived. And in a sense that we need to, to push forward. That we need to continue to seek the Lord and to pursue Him at all costs. That when the going gets tough, yes, the tough get going. And the faithful become more astute and more keen and more honed in to the will of God and the purpose of God for the glory of God. In Titus, the third chapter and verse 14, he writes, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. This week, and in, in specifically this week, it's been a wonderful week at First Baptist Church. Now we had a lot of you uh, whose kids were at camp. You had a wonderful week because your kids were gone. You had a tremendous week, and who knows, nine months from now, we might have a new addition to the family. But you had a wonderful, wonderful week. Some of you just got that. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and I'm not going to go any further than making that statement. But you had a wonderful week. Your kids were gone. And I want you to know, they're going to be sharing with us uh, next week how amazing God worked in their lives. There were a lot of breakthroughs. Weren't there a lot of breakthroughs this week? God shows up in amazing ways on ordinary days with ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And he showed up with students. Camp is one of those reasons. That's why we give to camp. That's why we support. Because we know that when you take people and you remove them from what the norm is. And you take them to a place where they can mold and shape each other and speak into each other's lives. God does something amazing. I've often said if adults could go to camp, if there could be in a way, a, a way that adults could go to camp, you would be ma amazed at the spiritual breakthroughs. And really all you have to do is talk to the chaperones that went. Because there were spiritual breakthroughs even with the chaperones that go on these trips. God did amazing things. Another thing this week, we had a wedding here yesterday. Um, and, you know, the church... Our church has begun to become the church. And I don't mean the church as if we're the only church. Well, we've actually begun to become that which the New Testament speaks about in the sense of supporting each other, working with each other. Had a wedding here yesterday. I can't tell you the number of people that I saw this week who devoted their time and their energy just to encourage and to help with that wedding, to pull it off. It was a beautiful ceremony. Everything went well. There's enough food and fellowship. It was wonderful. It was what the church should be. And then yesterday morning, 
I put out an email uh, last, uh, at the beginning of this week. Uh, we had the Eglers, of course, are kind of restoring a home on Hattie Avenue. And it was so exciting to go over there yesterday and see many of you working. Uh, and, and for many of them, I know John has expressed it to you, but for many of them, they would not have been able to accomplish that had you not been there. That's exactly what the church should rally to do. That is that we come around people, we support people, we encourage people to do great things. It was great fellowship, it was work, but it was great fellowship. It's exactly what the scriptures teach to. That you and I don't ever think that Bible study or fellowship has to be planned as fellowship or Bible study. There's a lot of things that happen when you and I choose to do things for people and things for God in amongst the fellowship of accomplishing those things. And this week has been one of those weeks. I hope that you will become more plugged in and more involved with opportunities because God is working in those opportunities and in those circumstances. In Timothy and Titus chapter 3 verse 14, we're told specifically to be devoted to all that is good. That means that you and I must help one another. When one of us is in need, we must come to the occasion, we must come to the solution, we must make ourselves available to help other people. We must encourage one another. And uh, I was discussing with someone earlier this week, you know, when you look out at our world and you look at the media and you look at the news there's very little encouragement to be found in fact there's discouragement everywhere you pick up the paper it's discouragement you watch television it's discouragement even primetime TV is discouraged I mean it used to be I mean primetime TV we rally around those shows that have murderers and mysteries we rally around Big Brother and other things where there's all kinds of unethical things that go on but yet we celebrate we are glued to it there's a lack of encouragement there is a plethora of discouragement there is a lack of civility there's a plethora of disability if I could borrow that word or make up that word there is a lack of purpose and vision ungodliness and there is a plethora of ungodliness everywhere we turn the church should be the one place where people receive encouragement rather than discouragement the one place that should tout the godliness of creation rather than the ungodliness and a place where people can be affirmed where people can be welcomed as they seek to pursue Christ and pursue a Christ-like life. Notice I'm saying affirm people when they're pursuing and seeking a Christ-led life. To affirm them when they're not doing that is to lead them astray. You and I must make sure that when we encourage people, listen, it's so easy to be discouraging. It's so easy to be discouraging. It's so easy to be discouraged. I'm reminded of the fact that for instance, for most of us, for every, you know, we can be encouraged, we can get some good news, or somebody can kind of stroke the back of our hair or whatnot, and we get, you know, we get excited about, you did this job, or you did this good job, whatnot, here, there, yonder, and we get excited when our employers notice some things about us that are good, and they write those in the evaluation, but we don't remember all the good things. We tend to fascinate ourselves and focus upon the bad things. For instance, 
You can be encouraged 10 or 12 times, but you will remember the one time that you were discouraged. You can be complimented 10 or 12 times, but you and I will remember the one that was a comment rather than a compliment. The church needs to be a body of believers seeking the will of God, the purposes of Jesus Christ, devoted to what is good, helping one another, encouraging one another, that we share each other's burdens and sorrows, and that we will do what is right because it is right, and not so that we might get credit for it. We do it because it is the God thing to do. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Doing good is a learned behavior. It is not automatic. Being sinful is not a learned behavior. It automatically comes into our lives. Well, I don't have to teach my kids not, uh, I don't have to teach my kids to sass. Uh, They do that uh, as a result of their own free will. I don't have to teach my kids uh, to be mean. I have to teach them not to be mean. Sin is in the world. Sin affects you and me. The evil is all around us. We have to learn certain qualities of this life. Learning how to pursue God. Learning how to be devoted to that which is good. And that is exactly what he says in verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves To doing that which is good. It is a learned behavior. You and I have got to practice it in order to learn it. And then I want you to notice in verse 14. We do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs. And not live unproductive lives. We must meet urgent needs. Urgent needs is not that you don't have cable television. Urgent needs is not that you don't have your vacation or your dream home or your dream car. Urgent needs speak to food, speak to shelter, speak to clothing, speak to the basic necessities that we all need to survive. You and I have got to be willing to meet the urgent needs of our community, the urgent needs of a congregation, the urgent needs of this city, of this state of this nation and of this world to the ends of the earth. We must meet urgent needs. The greatest urgent need other than those physical things that I mentioned is an urgent need to know Jesus Christ. That is the biggest need of the world. The biggest hope and yearning and longing for the world is Jesus whether they recognize it or not. Because there are people today, not out there, but there are people In here, in this very room, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, they know how to spell Jesus. They know that he was born in Bethlehem. They know he died on a cross. They buy presents at Christmas. They put up a Christmas tree. They have all the ornaments and the decorations. They attend church regularly. They may even be in Sunday school class. They will do everything and they will jump through every hoop. And they have the appearance that everything is all right. But down in the center of who they are, they have an urgent need. And that need is a desperate cry to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people amongst us that don't know 
Jesus. So as we go about devoting ourselves to doing what is good, we're doing what is good, one, because it's right, but two, so that it can show what is living in us, so that when we go out and we're seeking to reach the urgent needs, those who are in urgent need of a Savior, those who do not know Jesus will take look and they'll say, I want the hope that's within them. I want the life that they're living. I desire to have the qualities that I see exhibited in their lifestyle. I want to be like that. I want to be resilient. I want to be able to be touched by God. I want to have the enthusiasm that they have. I want to be able to have the relationship that they have with their spouse. I want to, be, uh, to have the relationship that they have with their children. I desire that above all. What is it that is unique from them or unique about them that I don't have my life? And as they begin to go through their list of uniqueness, they will come to the common bond that the issue at hand is the urgent need that they have for Jesus Christ. Are we going to live lives that do good, not just to be good, not just to get patted on the back. Don't do good things so that you can be noticed. Do good things because they're the right thing to do. And do them because there is a world that is in urgent need of Jesus Christ. As we share each other's burdens and sorrows, we do what is right because it's right, not because we get credit for it. But we do it in order to meet the physical and spiritual needs of people because we recognize that there are people without Jesus. And the question becomes for us this morning, what are you and what am I going to do about it? Because there are real people who have real needs that a real God can remedy. Are you and I committed to helping meet those Needs. And it goes far beyond simply praying for them. It goes far beyond stroking a check to an offering, a Christmas offering, or an Annie Armstrong Easter offering that affects North American missions or world missions. What are you going to do personally? What are you going to do personally that impacts the urgent need that we see in our world today? I mean, when you look at the media today, uh, whether it's social media or main media, people are fighting about everything. People are bickering about everything. Whether it's a flag, whether it's a fleur-de-lis, whether it's the rights of this person or the rights of that person, everywhere all over the place, there is bickering and fighting and dissension and argument and in the midst of all that chaos, many of us get sucked into that reality. Now, we all have an opinion about these things. We all have an opinion about what we think should happen or which one we think is right or which one we think is wrong. But I'm going to submit to you that if you and I are going to change the world, if you and I are going to change our home, if we're going to change our community, if we're going to be God's changing agent, we will not accomplish it by standing against any of it we will we will not accomplish by standing for it we will accomplish it by standing for Jesus Christ who goes before us who settles it who the beginning and the end and all time is configured by we have got to meet the urgent needs of people and so I would say to you kind of in, a, in an illustrative way that if you can imagine what needs to happen today, it's simply this. That God doesn't want so much of your prayer, or so much of your time, or so much of your gifts, or so much of your talent, 
or so much of your enthusiasm or so much of your passion or so much of your friendship or so much of your encouragement or so much of your work or so much of your goodness or so much of your kindness and you can name it on and on and on and on and on and on what God wants is you he doesn't want the good things about you he wants you he's tired of you giving him what is good when what he has demanded is that you give him all of you and the best way that I know to illustrate that is sort of like when we're going to pay for tennis for my son and I never know the amount that we got to pay but usually I'm the one that takes him to tennis in the afternoon and so Tabby will tell me um, you need to pay for tennis and sometimes she'll go and, and she'll pick him up and sometimes she's the one to pay and so she goes make sure you leave me a blank check leaving my wife a blank check she's sitting up in the balcony I can talk about her this morning leaving someone a blank check how many of you like to give people a blank check that means a blank check, understand this, it means you've signed it, you've signed it, but you've not put in pay to the order of, and you've not put the amount. How many of you want to do that? How many of you let checks go out of your hands like that a lot of times? How many of you would like to give me a blank check today? That is exactly what God is requiring of us when he says I want all of you what he wants us to do listen don't fill in the pay to the order of don't fill in the amount simply sign your name and give him the checkbook let him decide where your money goes let him decide the way your life's going to be spent because what you're signing when you sign this spiritual check to God is you're saying I surrender everything all control I don't get to determine the way my life is spent where it's spent how it's spent with who it's spent I go to need to determine the amount of time the amount of enthusiasm the amount of energy or the amount of anything God I am surrendering it all to you and I'm allowing you to determine what is the urgent need that you want me to meet that's right you want me to meet not that you want someone else to meet not that you want someone else to pray for but God I'm surrendering myself to make myself available that you might use me as a vessel of your grace of your truth of your hope so that you and I can meet urgent needs together why because our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live un productive lives you and I will always live unproductive lives when we have failed to surrender everything we have to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that's why I preach every Sunday that's why I call people to repentance every Sunday that's why every Sunday as I preach to you I practice with it in front of the mirror because what God wants more than anything else is he wants you and me to lay ourselves at the altar of God and say God take me the way I am broken fouled up messed up and everything else with the good and the bad and the ugly and everything in between take me and make me an instrument of 
of your peace. Make me an instrument of your truth. Make me an instrument however you want me to be. If you want me to be praised, that's great. If you want to be lowered, that's great. However you want to use me, however you want to pour me out, however into whatever people, into whatever situation, no matter who they are or what they are, God, however I put no parameters on the label of this relationship. There are no directions. I can only be used for this. Or I can only be used to do that. God I'm surrendering everything. In this moment. In this time. In this space. And in this place. To you. If we would write that check. With our lives. If we would devote ourselves. To doing that which is good. To learning how to do that which it's good and practicing it, engaging it in order that we would meet the needs of urgency, then you and I would live productive lives. So maybe what you're producing, you're not getting what you thought you would get. Could it be that you're not seeking to do what is right for the purpose of meeting urgent needs? Are you and I committed to meeting the needs of our world? Are you and I committed to meeting the, the desperate attitudes of people that we run into constantly, day in and day out? Because as I look across the spans of people and the spans of community, I always have sensed hurting broken people. But I've begun to see a deep resentment and anger that burns in the midst of people. People are mad, they're angry, they're unhappy, and when they flare up, have mercy. Now some of you are thinking, what in the world happened this week? I don't know that anything happened this week. I'm not aware that there were any flare-ups. If you flared up, I'm not talking about you. I know of no flare-ups this week. Some of you are visiting think, whoa, what happened at the church while I was gone? Nothing's happened at the church. Awesome week. But as I go out in the community, you look at people. I tell you, here's, here's an experiment. Just subtly, as you're driving along the road tomorrow, you know, pay attention you know, to the road. But as you're driving, just look at the people that are driving around you, sitting at the stoplights. I mean, don't gawk at them, but just take a peer. Watch people in Walmart in the checkout line. Watch people at Ingalls in the checkout line. Watch them as they walk down the aisle. I, I mean, I've been at all those places this week. And I, more than once, this is what I see. Your face needs to be informed of what it looks like. Your heart needs to inform your brain what your expression is. Because what our expressions are is... I mean, when I'm walking down the aisle, I'm like, wow, what happened? What happened? What happened to that individual? What happened to this situation? What, what am I walking into? And you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a grocery store. What's up with that? It's not like you got flipped off in traffic. They're angry people, hurting people. And this is what I know. Angry people and hurt people hurt other people. Keep that in mind. 
Angry people and hurting people hurt other people. So instead of being encouraged, if you're discouraged by someone, if someone pipes off at you and hurts your feelings, your first thought needs to be what I'm trying to do in my own life, and that is to recognize this, that their hurt that they're throwing my way has originated from their own hurt. So the bigger picture is, you're not hurting me because you want to hurt me. You're hurting me because you are hurting. You are hurting. And what that shows us is when hurting people hurt other people, when people taunt us and people hurt us, what it should speak to is there is a greater urgent need, and that urgent need is Jesus. So the next time, listen, the next time that someone slaps you on the right face, it makes a whole new sense of the Scripture where Jesus says, turn the other also. Why? Because Jesus understood that when someone slaps you in whatever way they slap you, whether it's through their words or whether it's physical, that there's a deep hurt going on in that individual that needs redemption, that needs the urgent essence of God. What would happen if we wrote God a blank check, devoted to what is good, meeting urgent needs? And listen, there's a difference. There is a difference. And those of you who will sit in the pew today and sit there, preach it. Preach it. Yes, I hear you. Yes, 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 yes. Some of you are saying that, and that's very encouraging to me. Others of you are saying, it's lunchtime. I want to go home. Please, preacher, shut up. And that's not encouragement. That means you're hurting. So, as we move on, there's a difference in saying yes to God and writing the blank check. You can affirm a lot of things. You give a nod. Mmm. God doesn't want your nodding as if your nodding helps other people make a decision. God doesn't want your affirmation. God, listen, here, here's the newsflash. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. But God chooses, chooses to use us for his glory. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. There's a difference in saying yes and actually following through with it. So here we are at a time of invitation. And the invitation is simply this. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody, we know we need to be devoted more. We need to be committed more to that which is good and that which is of God. We know that we should be dynamic followers of Christ. Our Sunday school literature bleeds it. Our scriptures speak of it. Worship speaks to it. But yet there is a disparity between the reality that we know that we should live and the reality that's ours in this moment. In other words, there is a desire to do that which is right, which the Apostle Paul would affirm. He said, why is it that I can't do the things I want to do, and I can do the things I don't want to do? And he can't do, he can't succeed at doing what he wants to do, but he finds himself caught up doing bad things. And that's a testimony of practically every single follower of Jesus. But this morning, in this invitation, it's not an invitation 
to affirm yourself. It's not an invitation merely to be encouraged. It's an invitation to lay yourself down at the altar of God. And, and I would submit to you that for some of us, the way we do these invitations is sort of like this. We'll stand at the invitation and we'll stand here and our knuckles will be white. Why? Because I'm watching knuckles. And we are holding. Like it's like a windstorm is going to come in this place. And we are holding on for dear life to this pew. And our hearts might be making a decision, but our bodies aren't doing it. I'm sort of like this. I'm happy. I'm really happy. I'm joyful. Again... Your face and your attitude need to be instructed by your brain and your heart. If you've got the heart of God, if, if God is living in you, it should not just affect this, okay? It should affect this and this and this. And it doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. But again, I'll say as I said a, a year ago or so, gosh, it looks like we've been baptized in pickle juice, You were saved for a purpose. It's not that you were saved from hell, although it's a reality. But you were saved for something. A greater purpose than you found yourself before you met God. And so when we come to a time of decision, you're going to be checking your knuckles today. It's not about holding on for dear life to the pew. It's about surrendering your entire life to Jesus. You see, when you're walking around like this, you're reserved. You're protecting your inner shell of who you are. But when you surrender to God, you open yourself up to anything that's coming your way. You're saying, I give you everything. All the things that I want to protect. All the security that I have. All the identity that I have. Everything that I put on. God, shelter me in your wings, in your glory, for your purpose. I'm not going to hide anything I'm out in the open. I'm open to whatever comes my way. I'll be emptied for you. Nothing is going to stand in my obedience to you, in my view of you, in my direction of you. Let everything else dissipate. I don't want a relationship with a boy or a girl to come in that. I don't want a relationship with my, with my employer. I don't want my job. I don't want schooling. I don't want my desires. I don't want my ambitions. It's just me and you for your glory and I'm surrendering it all, which means that when we give an invitation and you're serious about surrendering at all it's not about standing in the pew it's not even about taking a cute little like a child prayer at the altar when I say surrender at all I mean nothing less than this and as foolish as some of you might think that is as foolish as you might think it is what it demonstrates is an absolute obedience and a lack of conformity of what we expect church people to do. No one's going to lay out in the aisle. The question is, would you lay yourself out for Jesus? Because let me tell you something. Think about it. He laid himself out. And he was crucified on a cross. And then they raised that cross. They put it on the highest mount of Golgotha and they placed him for the world to look at for the birds of the air to come down and to devour flesh he was nailed to a cross open armed why because in that act he fully surrendered to the father 
He fully took on himself your sin and my sin and the world's sin. And all of the disharmony, all the disunity, all the brokenness, all the evil, all the anguish, all the anger, all the resentment. And in that moment, he satisfied it for all times, for all generations. Into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. And then he died. And here we are separated only by years, 2,000 years. So when God gives an invitation to come, it's not an invitation to come and look pretty. It's an invitation to lie down and to be crucified like he was crucified And then lift it up for the world to see that you have given your life for the cause of Christ. That you will die to your ambitions and to the life that you hoped and yearned for. And that it will be a spectacle for the nations. A spectacle for the community to see that you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Because why? It is finished. Let us pray. Lord, this has been such an amazing week of encouragement. And we've seen so many examples and we've heard so many examples of how people encourage each other. And yet in the midst of community, in the midst of this town, in the midst of this congregation, there's burden and there's anger and there's resentment. And so now, Lord, we come into a time of decision we decide what we're going to do with what we've heard what we're going to do with what we've experienced and what we're going to do with the Holy Spirit who has spoken truth into our lives are we going to respond the way we always do or are we going to respond giving a blank check to the Almighty God who before the creation of the world purposed us in this time, in this place, for His glory. Lord, may You find us faithful to You. May You help us to encourage each other. But Lord, we pray that You would help us above all to be emptied for the sake of the gospel of Christ. That we would recognize the simplistic truth of Your Word and Your will and Your way. That we would recognize that above all, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing that which is good in order to provide for the urgent needs. And God, that you will find us not in unproductive lives, but we would have a productive life as we lay ourselves before you. The cross of Jesus Christ demands us, calls us, beckons us to come, to surrender. Surrender our plans, our methods, our hopes, and our dreams And today is the day that some, some Lord can make a decision. Lord, lead us and guide us in this invitation for students who made decisions this week, for commitments that were made, for parents that have been drawn closer to you, for people in this room who have felt the Spirit of God in this place today that need to respond, whether they're in the balcony, whether they're on the back row, whether they're on the front pew. It makes no difference. But God, if you're speaking to them, and God, if they're hearing your voice, may they be obedient. 
to lay themselves at your feet. Lord, we honor you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your love and your compassion. And Lord, I thank you for First Baptist Church, a community of believers, a community of friends and family that are growing in amazing ways. But Lord, you're not finished with us yet. We've only just begun to see the amazing things that you can do. Help us to continue to focus on what is the main thing. Help us to continue to pursue you with all that we are, to reach the urgent needs of not only this congregation, but the urgent spiritual needs of the greater community. As we seek not to stand against people, as we seek not to stand in our positions on certain things, but as we seek to stand in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ, making sure that what we speak, what we hope, what we dream, and the motives that matter are tied intricately to the person of Jesus. Help us not to get ahead of him. Help us not to stay far behind him. But help us to be with him every step of the way. And it's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. If you're here this morning as we go into a time of invitation, this altar is open. If a plant is in your way, just throw it to the side. If you need to, listen, if you need to respond at this altar, you do that. You be faithful to the Lord, faithful responding to Him. But listen, more importantly than what you do at this altar is what goes on in here and here and here. You can't open your arms truthfully if you've not opened your heart. You can fake it. But faking it is never going to lead to the peace and the hope and the yearning that you're yearning for. Christ died for you. He died for you. If you were the only one, He would have died for you. Because that is how much He loves you. That's how much He wants you. He bought you at the greatest price that was ever available. So that now if we've been bought with a great price, how are you choosing to spend your life that was bought at such a price? Blank check. Sign it. No pay to the order of. No date. No amount. Here I am. Take me as I am. As we invite the Holy Spirit, as we invite the Lord Jesus Christ to move in our lives. As we stand, as we sing, and as we respond, won't you come?